You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the MBDA. I am Heather Mason. Thanks for being here. If you're a first-time listener, be sure to check out all of our previous episodes. Today's guest is a great friend of mine, Shelly Demery Noisette. Oh my God, I killed your name, Shelly. <laughs> Suck at that. <laughs> Shelly is a bike shop owner of Twisted Spokes in Johns Creek, Georgia. She is known for engaging women, growing interest in cycling, working with her community, and for general advocacy at large. A once legal career has assisted her in those areas and helped her to rally others. She had a life-changing accident which affected her love of teaching children and other beginners. And so today we will not only learn Shelly's story, but learn ways we can implement similar techniques to build an engaged and active cycling community around our shop. Welcome, Shelly. Hi, <laughs> so I, awesome. I mean, as far as my name, so yeah, <laughs> worry about it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so I can't thank you enough for being here. Our friendship has blossomed over the past few years, and we were just catching up early, or like you know, our paths are kind of similar in some sorts. And I think of you often, and I cannot wait to dive into our talk today. I always like to give our listeners a sense of where we are. I'm in upstate New York. Where are you today? I'm in Alfred or Johns Creek, Georgia. Those lines between the different cities are a little bit blurred, like between one block to two blocks, depending upon where you're at. They couldn't quite get it straight. So <laughs> I'm has, in North, North Atlanta. How has the cycling, like, are you, are you guys already seeing a spike? Are people out riding? Is the Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, the weather has just been gorgeous here for the past few days, and people are taking full advantage of it. So I'm really excited about this conversation. We have so much to talk about, but I always like to rewind and, you know, tell us a little bit about your adventure into the bicycle industry. Oh, I glanced down a little bit, you know, like I said, I used to freestyle it a bit, you know, before my accident. Talking for a living was what I used to do, but I had to write things down. I've been on the bike since I was a kid. I grew up in the Midwest. So it was a lot of land to be able to cover, you know, growing up in Iowa. So, you know, a bike, that's what you had. If you didn't have a bike, uh, that was kind of weird. So you met up with your friends and everybody knew where everyone lived. And that's where you did. You knew who was at whoever's house, yard, acreage, farm, by you recognized everyone's bike and then it was transportation. Okay. Following that, it was my cross training. I danced, I rode horses and then I was an accomplished runner. So cycling was a really big part of that because I used it as transportation, but I used it as another form of my training. A great cross training. I didn't know you were into horseback riding too. That's awesome. Another thing we have in common. (laughs) Yes. Pole bending and doing barrels. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, So then you had a legal career too though, right? So yes, it started off when it was about Well, I knew about when I was about seven years old, but when I started clerking for college, when I was working for ATF, and then when I was a a Marine, and that had gone on for about about 22 years, even still when 
I was in the bike shop with my husband. When it went more administrative, when I had my when I brought my e-discovery firm a few years ago, a few years before that to a close, just because so, of the economy. A cyclist growing up and then a marine into a field in law, and then somehow you find yourself as co-owner of a bike shop. Like, I bet you never thought it was going to go there. No, and it really wasn't by choice. That was my husband's avenue. Me being a wife, you get drawn into some things. He has started an online retail. Then it required having more of a building presence. Okay. Then that came to a close because it shot up like a few hundred percent from the building owner. Then it moved into our garage. Then I was like, you got to get it out of the garage. Like, (laughs) this is not going to work. And this can't be a hobby. We've got family. We've got kids that will have to go to college. So you have to be able to figure this out. Like scale the business, right? So get it. And, you know, he's smart. So it's like, you know, do something with it. And so the first shop that was a real brick and mortar that was not this warehouse that got close, you know, he shut down and moved into the garage was this hole in the wall that was on the backside of Medlock Bridge that everybody seemed to find. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't open all the time because he always had a corporate job. Okay. So he was doing something else and you just decided to get it out of the garage. He opens up a small location in what we would call a hole in the wall just to get started. Right, I call a hole in the wall because it faced actually like, you know, nothing. And it was on this backside with this nasty upholsterer, you know, that was living in, in his upholster, this upholstery place next to it. And it was that it had the sewage issue next to it. And but everybody found it and it was called MTB Garage, Mary Tom Boy, because he just dealt with everything that was just relative to selling that was mountain bikes because okay. that's what he absolutely loved. But he fixed everything. And so I used to do some behind the scenes stuff, but I was not in that, you know, I was not in that shop. You know, I gave him some advice with regard to things and most like most men, you know, they don't really hear you. So So Shelly, when did you guys move and when did you get more involved in the shop? Well, when people like wanted it open all the time and then, you know, packages had to be sent off and all that. It was just a constant where people always like, well, when are you guys, you know, going to be open? And it was just a constant. And it was the community wanting this to be open more regularly. He made the decision. He made the decision that there's some real growth opportunity. So then MTB Garage, which never really made any sense to me, and I'll tell you why later, then it moved to Jones Bridge. That was the second location, but the real storefront, because it was on a real major street in Johns Creek, you know, that got real coverage. Uh-huh. And real rent amount also. And it was a storefront. So it faced out on a real major street and it needed real inventory. So it's a real, you were just making the leap. You got he was making the leap and then boom, big bike shop. <laughs> right, exactly. And when he was in this hole in the wall, here's the deal. He carried Pivot, which was a boutique brand. Yeah. And I mean sold major, major bikes out of there. So, I mean, 
you know, Pivot was expensive. And this is going back to 2013. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 2015. And then from 2015 was when he moved over to Jones Bridge. But here's the thing. MTB Garage, that name just didn't work. People couldn't really make sense of it and equating it to a bike shop. Yeah. And so I used to consult like small businesses and administrative work still because I left the law firms and all of that. And our kids were in high school and they were graduating in 2014 and 2015. So I wasn't going to be going all the way downtown. So there was some decisions I made and I was saying, hey, you got to do A, B, and C. And he had his corporate job still. And I was like, people don't really relate to this. And there was a storefront. I was like, well, you just can't have this open and not actually be here. And then people would be there. So while this is being built out and, you know, I was there. And yeah. then people were like, oh, a woman in a bike shop, <laughs> you know? And so I was there because then, you know, there was a financial interest. And I was there and all the time. And then I would be asking all of these questions. Now I rode, I never competed. Right. So I was asked these questions and I'm like all the time. Well, I was a book person. Okay. So he's not really a trainer. So he would just pass me a book, read it, read it. So then, I mean, every book that there was, you know, there was in or it was this, anything he referred to, then, oh, I almost became an expert on it from a reading standpoint. <laughs> so you stepped in just to help open the shop and get it going and just ended. So are you on location number three now? Is Twisted Spokes? That, that was number two. All right. It wasn't Twisted Spokes then. Okay. And so then now, you know, I'm in there. And so then I'm in there. And when he first started the first location, he did have an investor, which was one of his friends who was supposed to be partner with him. Well, he wasn't. I think his friend seen him as an investor, but he thought it was going to be a partner, but that really wasn't the case. Yeah, it's very hard so, to get into business with another person, right? It makes yeah, it so that didn't really work out, but they were really good friends. And so then it was, you know, the second location. And so then I was there and when I was there and I was by myself, well, I had to learn how to fix things. So he would refer me to these videos, you know, I would have to watch like YouTube and these things. Now, you know, Septon and I, I would work on cars. And so I was pretty handy from the standpoint of like taking and working on cars. And then with growing up with working on the bikes, there were certain things that I could do. But this was like 20 some odd years later, you know, 30 years later. So I had to like really do this. And then, so he would have a couple of friends who would come and like look over my work, you know, so I would take in, we would have it on hold. Trial by fire, right? You just. <laughs> right. But then when people who couldn't like wait for it and it was like on site right then, I'd have my apron on and I would be like, okay, I'm going to give it to you for this price I have for ice, you know, but if it works out or whatever, you got to come back and you got to pay the money. And someone would just pay full price right then and say, hey, we're going to take it. We're going to have faith, you know, because you just, you know, everybody's going to have a starting point, you know. So many different paths, like, you know, so many different bike shops, the way that they came into reality, you know, some people started in the garage, some people started, you know, all super fancy, you know, big loan in a, you know, commercial strips. And it sounds like what is twisted spokes that we know it now, like your story and the way you became involved is just so like organic and natural. And you just built up this amazing community that kind of like grew with you almost. All right. So I see all these pictures. So on your Facebook, Twisted Spokes Facebook page, there's 
always pictures posted. Well, well getting to the name of Twisted Smoke. So finally, yeah. there was times that, you know, he wasn't taking my eyes and, you know, he was. And thank God we had some really great friends that are like some really awesome cyclists and who do know how to do some repairs that were at some other bike shops that like come and like help out, <laughs> you know, because they did. They, they really wanted to see him succeed because he had some really cool relationships and they would come and like help moonlight and stuff. So that was like really cool, you know, when he wasn't in town to be able to like help me out, you know, and whatnot. But when it came to like 2016, I was like, look, the name has got to change. I had like, I would get calls and there was tow companies that were coming to drop off cars because they thought it was like a car place for you know, record places to drop off cars because they thought it was a garage and not like a bike shop. Right. So finally he was getting it. And that's how the name ended up evolving into Twisted Spokes Bicycles. And it's well known now because, I mean, he's on the bicycle retailer panel for this year. I know that. And like I was just saying, I'm on your social media and everyone seems to know, you know, I had a conversation with my friends at Quality Bicycles the other day and they seem to know your shop. It's like your shop is making is making headlines. And I really feel it's because of the outreach that you have done with the community for with the kids and with adults. And I've seen pictures of you riding with women. And I know you from my relationship in the women's program. But I guess that's really what I wanted to, I know that you know, like the key to unlocking how to connect with your community. And I, I feel like I look at you, I'm always looking at what you're doing, and what Twisted Spokes is doing. And I know that you're like the driving force behind that. So I really was hopeful you could, you know, talk to me about how shops can engage with their community. Like, and, you know, all these pictures that we see, who are the pictures you're posing with? Are those first time bike owners or? Bike owners, they get to take pictures by themselves. So those are their bikes that they purchase. The pictures that I'm in are the pictures with the bike lesson, kids, teens, and adults that have never learned to ride. There's some special needs that learned how to ride. There's a prosthetic. There's adults who never learned how to ride as kids. Shelly, um, there's you- people who have fears that thought they would never learn how to ride. Are you so, teaching these, these what, new riders? Are you the one teaching these new riders? Yeah, I taught them all. Oh my gosh. Out, like, so is there a spot that you go? Do you have like a teaching facility? Is it near the shop or give oh, us a better? It's actually near and around right at the shop. Wow. So people are coming and they're not only getting a bike from you, but you're teaching people how to ride. Yeah. yeah. And I do it one-on-one. I don't do it with anybody, you know, and anybody else. It's, it's a one-on-one. I assess their bikes before they start. So they have to be on a bike that is safe, that is the right size, that everything is equipped properly for them for being able to go through the lessons. Their helmet has to be safety quality, you know, for them. And they they have to go through an interview process. They have to be able to interview me. I love that. There are so many people, I'm just thinking like, and I'm sorry, Maureen, my mother-in-law, she didn't know, like she's, she rides, but she's not really stable on a bike and she's not really comfortable. And if I feel like if there was a shop, like luckily she has, you know, myself and, and we taught her again how to ride. But if there, there's so many people who I think just, you know, didn't learn or maybe forgot how to ride. So I can imagine, I mean, how many people have you taught over the years, Shelly? Oh, 
It's been more than a couple hundred. Did you? Have I've had people come from more than a couple hours away. I was gonna say, did people come to the shop just because you did this? Like they heard from someone? Yeah, and they get referrals, and kids will actually refer their friends, and they'll refer adults. Like that, they know that somebody's parents don't know how to ride, so that they can like have their friends' parents like actually ride with them. They'll refer me, and they have. It's like this little network. Like sometimes I've been like so busy where they've had to wait during like different seasons just to get it. And it's three bike lessons. Like it only takes like three bike lessons that I teach them, but there's very rigid guidelines within things that they have to do within a nine day period over three bike lessons that I give them. So they have like homework, let's say when they're not with you, they have homework and they have to have a support system you know, for that. And as long as they have that, they will be writing. And I mean, I've had people doubt me and they said that they were like absolutely, absolutely surprised. And I've never not had one person not learn how to ride. This is like, you know, we talk about keeping these new cyclists engaged, but this is like getting new cyclists, like you're creating new cyclists. What a great idea for shops. But I know when we spoke earlier, you were talking about things you've done with non-for-profits in your community and maintenance clinics. Like, give us some ideas of some of the work you've done there. So annually, we work with a nonprofit that is bikes and trikes for kids for bike Alpharetta. So our shop is a point for having bikes and trikes dropped off to where we will go to a meeting house site annually to go and repair and fix up bikes to be able to give out to families, you know, of need so that they'll be given out. And we've done that for years. We will give education clinics. Sometimes we will just know that there are kids or commuters that are in need. And when we get bikes that are not worth, you know, or fixing, or people know that we just will give something away and they don't need to take it to Goodwill or something, they will give it to us and we'll give it to somebody that is in need. It sounds like we'll fix it up. It sounds like Um, your shop is like the hub of the, like, I feel like you're like a safe place for people to go and it's just like a good feel good location. No, it really is. We are the gold club for Chattahoochee High School. We are the outdoor education for cycling for Alpharetta High School. We're chamber members. We are next door neighborhood favorites. We and we were voted that for three years. We are Johns Creek business favorites for more than a couple of years. I don't know. We've we've won a lot of different, you know, awards. We're referred a lot. You know, a lot of the community involvement was because, you know, my my son he went to school at Chattahoochee, but in all my life I've always been out in the community, even with my legal career. So my grandfather was an activist for all of his life, and. I just think it's important as long as you're living to be able to take in to give back. I love kids and you know, now everybody else in our shop doesn't do the work with the kids out in the community with teaching how to ride. My my husband and the other guys will tell you 
we're not the ones. <laughs> Leave it to Shelly. Yeah, it almost feel I almost feel like it has to be a dedicated person on a shop staff to really lead that charge. Like, you know, reaching out to the NICA teams, reaching out to local community centers, you know, reaching out to the schools. I feel like you must have just been constantly making those connections, Shelly. Yes, you know, I have because I really do like kids. Now, with Brent on, and when it gets to like the high school level and when they're doing racing, he is that person. On the beginner level with me, with regard to that fitness and what they're supposed to be doing and all of that. But when it gets to the more aggressive side, that's where he comes in. But, you know, he likes to be able to move like this. Yeah. So I take and I fill in those gaps beforehand so that they can take and they can keep up like this if that's what they're going to do. So, you know, everyone has their parts and their roles, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to play. And I think that when you're in a shop and there's things that you're considering, though, that everyone needs to make certain, though, that anybody that does come into their shop, they need to understand they are part of the community. That Kids bring their friends into the shop. That kids, man, they know how to like resource money. Let me tell you, <laughs> they are like some little crumb snatchers. Okay? Yeah, I'm with they you. They know how to work their parents. And I got two that work me. <laughs> I mean, they don't come in there like with a little notepad. They're like cha-ching. They like have it all added up in here, and they have a plan, and they just know what exactly it is, you know, that they want and how they're actually going to go about getting it. But I go a step further in doing it because I created a workspace for teens in our shop with having interns. So I've had that going for the past four years. So tell us about that, Shelly. You have like an actual work stand where there's some tools that teens can come in or tell us about that. No, I've actually had positions where they come in as teens and working in the shop. As interns actually working. Mm -hmm. So you're giving them some education and bringing them into our industry. Yes. What yes. As well as volunteering out on like Zoic had a, you know, events, there's different community events where we're actually asked to participate in, in the community. And so I'll have them where they're able to take in to participate, you know, with us, with going out into the community. So, you know, we've had it where They've been able to do, you know, racing from inter-earl, you know, series and training and whatnot, where those things can be resume builders. Yeah. You know, with going into college, not just for going to get a job, but being able to get on, you know, into scholastic teams. So it's not just from a standpoint of getting another job, if it's for that of advancing to that, but if you're trying to get on into a team, you know, related to college. Just so offering having that, that extra skill, yeah. you know. Shelly, I can't stop being amazed by you. Every time I talk to you, I learn something else that you're doing that is just, I don't know how you find time on your schedule for everything, but these are such valuable tips, you know, that we, we always talk about connecting with community, but I feel like you've even taken it one step further. And you also run an Enduro series. Is that the Shops Enduro series or are you co-sponsor or how is well, that? That's my husband. I used to be more involved. That was something else that he created. But that, you know, for a mountain bike and enduro, you know, that is very physically 
intensive. And when I had my accident, I could no longer be out there in, you know, the mountains doing, you know, what was necessary to be covering, you know, 40 miles, 60 miles, you know, and all of that. After the accident, there was a few races several months afterwards. And my doctor's like, the accident didn't kill you, but your lifestyle will with what you're doing. And you can't. You, you the choices. Your body needs time to heal. So that's Third Coast Productions and Third Coast Enduro Series is the races. And it, we were the first to have Enduro here in the Southeast. And the reason why my husband called it Third Coast Enduro Series was because it was literally the third coast in covering five states in the Southeast. So it was pretty ingenious. Yeah. Because there was nothing that was going on in the Southeast. And it was all of these mountains that were here that there was good territory to actually cover. So it was hot on, you know, the market, you know, at that time. And I mean, we were getting coverage in the news and all of that stuff where we were at. And one of the major races on the women's side that had been covered was a race that we had that was an all women's race. And it was called the Heartbreaker. And I had women that came from 11 states. And it was over 80 racers. Oh, my gosh. And I joined up with Missy Petty through Belljoy. And it would just really warm my heart to be able to have women come from just all over and had that in Knoxville. That was that just really just like supported us. And so it was pretty awesome. And so... You know, they're really looking for, you know, again, but I had to really like, I really had to heal. And, you know, with all of my, my surgeries and with my TBI and all that has gone on, I really needed to be able to be in the shape to be able to do it, to call it one of my races, you know, again. So the series is, Third Coast is picking back up again. They're having their next race, like to start off this year, like April 18th. Oh, wow. I think that's in TTC. So I'm getting myself just back in shape again since the last of my surgeries was in December. So yeah, he started then. We used to do that in tandem together, you know? So I don't do, I don't do the, the crazy downhill stuff like he does, but as I picked up really doing a lot of mountain stuff with that of climbing, rock climbing, here in Atlanta and carried over from what I used to do. I'm a really great climber because I did rappelling when I was a Marine. So what I used to tell people when I was out there on the courses, you got to pick if something happens to you with our EMTs out here. Do you want me to help get you down? For the most, or do you want your bike? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we were good out there, you know, together on, um, you know, he doesn't like doing all the climbing. He's got a really great e-bike in the L, you know, where I really like to climb and he's really great on, you know, the downhill with doing, you know, zipping and, you know, going around the berms and. This podcast is brought to you by MBDA membership and industry donors. To continue providing education and content like the podcast you're listening to now, we need your support. Go to mbda.com and join or donate today.
definitely sounds like you guys definitely supported each other. And like I, you know, being a friend of yours and watching you, you know, with the Bianchi Dama program a couple of years to date and now women cycling. And I, I know that, you know, you're, you had your really horrific accident and then you've been recovering and you have been, you know, people have seen your recovery. You haven't hidden it. Your, your story is out there. People know what you've gone through. And, and here you are still like super strong, still with the community, still riding and regaining your strength. You know, I guess for me, I see you as a huge advocate for women's cycling. I, I see you as a huge advocate for cycling in general, but especially with the women's program, you've been so instrumental. So as a shop owner, you know, if we're going to pass a tip over to other shop owners listening, any advice for shop owners to, you know, make the shop more inclusive to women or more welcoming? Is there anything that you could give us there? Yes. Men have to have women along. They have to have them in the shop. The outside of the shop has to be able to look like that you're wanting women to come in. Women, mothers, and kids. You know, I have the outside of the shop dressed up to make it look like that it's not as important for you to come in as, as much as it is for you to feel welcomed on the outside that you might just want to be able to sit down, take a load off first, you know, <laughs> it could have taken you some energy just to be able to get outside the vehicle with your kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a table with flowers sticking out of it. You know, there's bikes sitting on the outside. It um, looks welcoming, right? Like you just create a really welcoming environment. A welcoming environment and practical, you know, things that are eye-catching that are for kids to be able to see as they first come in. So it was like, oh, you know, that they may want to go grab, okay? Yeah. Because, you know, that's what kids do, all right? With all the kids that you have worked with and all the kids that are coming into the shop, I know bike shop owners constantly talk about, like, offering trade-in programs or anything like that. Does your shop do anything like that to keep kids coming back to you? Uh, we have a growth spurt program. So within the first couple of years, if you buy a bike from us, then you get to bring that bike back and you get 50% toward the next bike purchase. And sometimes it could be over two years. It just depends, especially since we've got like long-term customers. You know, there's just sometimes just independent deals that we were just depending upon what the actual situation is. Yeah. We do consignment on mid to high end bikes. We actually buy bikes, you know, outright. It helps us with, you know, restocking our inventory. Granted, you know, the bikes have to be in, you know, good condition also because we want to make sure that, you know, we can resell them. But I saw, you know, a long time ago, it was recognized because my husband became, you know, more practical too, just because I'm frugal, but I'm considerate that, he was an only child. I came from a mid-sized family that, hey, you got to try to hold on to the money. And we live in a community where people have at least three kids or more, mm -hmm. but the median income is a six-figure income and higher. But people still want to hold on to their money and they pass things down to their kids. Right. And they keep stuff in really great condition, but they want to buy well. So we are really into quality about what we sell to our customers. So we want to buy stuff as dealers that are really well, it's going to hold up for our customers, knowing that they're probably going to pass it down or if they bring it back to us. We want it to hold up because it's what we are selling. Yeah. So I was like, you know, we don't want to take in 
have them keep spending money, you know, over and over again, like, you know, kids probably going to grow out of this within this amount of time. You know, you have to have incentives of this. This is why they're fed up with buying bikes at Walmart. You know, right. they got to go back there. And I mean, these bikes aren't adjustable, you know, with this type of concept. But, you know, this will do A, B, and C. So that's why we have more than a few options with that of, you know, the, the consignment. You know, we're not going to take that on Walmart bikes or Target or any of that, you know, right. not that type of stuff or right. buying outright. And then, of course, on our own bikes, you know, the growth spurt. People, so, the parents must love you for that, huh? Like that must be. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we have, you know, like one family, one of our customers, she has two sons. She had bought like a fitness bike and a mountain bike for her sons, literally like probably like last summer. Maybe it was, the, the, maybe it was in close to right after the winter time they grew maybe four to six inches. And then by the winter and summertime, she was like, oh, they decided that they wanted mountain bikes. <sighs> they wanted to get into mountain biking. What well, was fine? Yeah. Bring the bikes back. They had grown out of the ones that they were in anyway. And it was mountain bikes. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was no problem. That's a great. And, and you now have another bike that's in great condition still to offer to another. Oh, family. Yeah. So Shelly, you talked about some things, you know, that you've done this past year or are doing to diversify and it was something with vehicle outfitting. Tell me what you're doing there. Well, there had already been hitch installs that had been going on for, you know, some time, but that is been now inclusive of like racks on the vehicles and, you know, Brent, he was formerly aircraft engineer and he's also a biomed engineer. So there's already very customized things that are done for people's bikes in our shop that are not done in many other places around. So people already come to us for customization things with regard to their bikes, but now they're able to even get more things done relative to their own vehicles related to their outdoor experience. A lot of times people who are into bikes also do rafting, they do things with motorcycles, so they have additional attachments related to the vehicles, but they have more expensive vehicles, but they're being charged a lot of money from the dealer with regard to hidden hitches and hitch attachments and all of that stuff. Well, they get deals from us when they get their hitches, you know, put on their vehicles if they're also getting a rack, you know, and other things associated with their outdoor experiences, associated with their hitch, their rack, and different things associated with their bikes. Yeah, so this is a great opportunity because you are you're outfitting a vehicle for like a larger a larger need, right? What a great opportunity right now. Let's see. So you have been in this industry for some time. I always ask the guests on the show, is there any great tip you have that you could share with everyone with other retailers or those in the industry? You know, working in the industry and being a part of it, being a woman, being a woman of color, being a cyclist, being a woman in general, being an owner, covering lots of different check boxes. I find that men just don't listen to you, you know, in general. And 
I've seen it even happen with that of customers who are women and even that of men. And I just think that it's just so important to be able to listen and to hear and to just be able to have the customer to be able to have that experience, you know, to know that they're being heard. So it's back to communication. I always feel like it's simply back to communication and listening, right? Yes. And, you know, I'm always about, you know, a customer doesn't need to come in to be able to buy a new bike. It's about whatever it is that they have about making it their own. Like we do such neat things with bikes, but that's because we have, we have the skill set in our shop that we can do just about anything. And we'd have to correct so many other people's work. A lot of times people have to sell because they can't do the actual mechanic work. Mm-hmm. And people don't necessarily want to give up what it is that they have. And sometimes they don't have the money to either. And so, you know, sometimes there's sentimental value associated with it also. Sometimes there's changes like my bike has modifications that are so specific to my medical needs. Right. I'm not going to be giving up my bikes like forever. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't need anybody telling me I need to do A, B, and C, or why is this this way? I know exactly why it is the way that it is. And so communication is important, but visuals, you know, are as well. And sometimes that's lost also if people take the time to be able to look because if sometimes people take the time to be able you know to actually look that is a form of nonverbal communication and you might take the time to look and see that initially when someone's walking in they have a five thousand dollar bike you Mm -hmm. might want to like close the trap for a minute (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just actually paying attention right right And too often we're so busy that we don't stop to look, right? And listen. We touched upon, well, maybe we haven't, diversity and inclusion. I mean, those are something that we're talking about a lot these days. I've had some retailers ask for tips on how to make their shop more welcoming. Not to put you on the spot, I mean, do you have any tips you think that you could share with retailers to, you know, make their shop more welcoming? Ooh, this is a hard one because... The last year and a half or so, is there's been a lot of tension out there. Mm. And we had people that wanted to list our shop as being a minority shop. Really? And we didn't for a long time because we did not want to succumb to different types of behaviors. And we purposely didn't for so many years because of the fact of where we're, we're located. A lot of people did not know that we were minority owned right so i would tell you from a standpoint from a woman of color the most that i have experienced is mainly from gender related okay well that i mean i i wasn't expecting you to say that you know i wasn't expecting you to say anything i didn't understand you know i didn't know where you would go with this but to hear that you know and i know that you know we had the women's meeting on monday for the industry so it's yeah, you know, we're doing a lot to try to address that issue, right? I mean, on the industry-wide. Yeah, I mean, as a co-owner, as a woman who's had to 
deal with employees within my own business who's had to deal with the public that's the most of what i've actually had to deal with and and i think that what's most important is from the gender side is not acting like you're superior that was was a conversation that came up you know on monday night when we were talking about how to bring more women into the industry and how to yeah get women you know maybe out of the service shop or out of the sales floor and into higher roles we get that you know sometimes and it's a real thing working on some resources to help women you know have the right tools when they're confronted with that sort of environment i mean i was actually told (laughs) if this was my shop i would do this this way and as if to think that you possibly wouldn't take and lose your your job i mean that's just really bold right and what makes you so arrogant to think that you could say that you didn't have anything better to be able to offer there's a sense amongst men and i'm not saying all but i've yet to not experience not one man in the industry that has come into my shop that has worked to not have the sense of attitude and not even bring the business in okay to do mm-hmm. what it is that i've done that and not even be in my industry and that it have this crunch years of where i've had to learn how to work on bikes not to the degree that they are ramp up business be out there in the community i mean literally do all the things I've had to learn how to do in such a short amount of time. And you say that in my face and I'm writing your check. It's amazing. I mean, this may be edited, but I don't care. I mean, <laughs> no, we're not editing this out. I mean, I'm just thinking like, I'm like, what the hell? Okay. I'm, I'm just going to say it. And I said that to him. Okay. And I was just like, who the heck do you think you are? I mean, can you be me? No, you can't. Yeah, I and, think- and you'll never be. I mean, and I was just like, whoa, you know, I mean, but oftentimes there's that thought that men think that they can. And we as women, we do so much to be able to help them do their jobs while we still don't get the credit, even as being owners and doing all that we do to help them earn the paycheck and the notoriety that they get. Yeah. And I mean, we could probably flip this on both sides, but in this case, there's definitely, you know, a lot of women that I see in the industry that are wearing a lot of hats and, you know, taking many roles. And then when they go into the repair shop and they're going to, you know, change a tire, they're looked at with like eyes, like, oh my God, you can do that. It's like, yeah, I can do that. Come hang with the cool girls. (laughs) So definitely something that, you know, this industry is definitely, you know, baffled by, right? And you know, women like yourself and women like, you know, some of the women we've met through the ambassador program, you know, that are part of the industry. It's like, yeah, hang with the cool girls. We can do it all. So I don't know, Shelly, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I could go on and on and on with you. But <laughs> you know, I ride like a girl, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm a woman. I like being in that category. You know, a lot of times in this industry, I feel like men think that we're trying to squeeze into their space i don't know what that means or where that's at but i think that there's room for all of us right but 
I think that we're more present than what we were before. And I'm not sure that there's an understanding yeah, of how it's, it's supposed to work. We've definitely touched on so many good things. Shelly, like, you know, this is great information just about, you know, someone who's thinking about starting a shop, the different roles to get a shop going, you know, out of your garage into that first spot and how it how you need to use the people in your family, in your network to help you grow, how you can find yourself into the bike industry, you know, from a path that you never thought you would have gotten here. And then you can, you know, read books and use your personal skills to engage a community on a whole nother level that everyone around the nation is, you know, eyes are on the work that you have done at the bike shop, Shelly. And and not only cultivating a community, but we're talking about diversity and inclusion and, and continuing forward, you know, in your, your role now as an ambassador for women cycling and, you know, you continue to work with kids and you're just such a positive in anyone's day. Shelly, if people want to connect with you and learn more about your story or more of the programs, is there any way that people can get a hold of you? Do you want to share any contact information? Not to put you on the spot, sorry. No, oh, my IG is right with Shelly, R-I-D-E with S-H-E-L-L-I-E. That is perfect. But, you know, one of the things I did forget to touch on is about with the community. You know, in the community, I've just always just been out there with the community. It was never about selling. And I think that if you are going to be successful with any business, particularly with the bike business that you're out there, it's just about being able to be out there and being you. And having that trust and that connection for people knowing you to know where they want to go and where they want to be. And that's why people have loved going to Twisted Spokes Bicycles is because they knew where they were going and who they trusted, where their kids wanted to go, because that seed was there. You know, they've known us. And so when people are out there in the community, It has to be for the right reasons, not because they're wanting people to come to their business, but because they live where they work, where they play, and they're trusted. That is what is the important, that's the important pieces. And then the people will follow with regard to their business, but not for any other reasons. Shelly, that you just totally nailed it. It can't be fake. It has to be authentic. It has to be about bettering your community. I so appreciate you bringing that up. I had a call with IMBA, International Mountain Bike Association, the other day. You know, IMBA's making a huge push right now for local trail systems. And local trail systems keep people close to your shop. They keep people engaged in your community. So definitely, you know, on that same token, it's like you actually have to want to make a difference in your community. And it has to be for all the right reasons. Super genuine, super authentic. Shelly, you are a role model. <laughs> I will be sharing this episode, resharing it for sure. I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking. There's so much more we could have got into. We'll have to have you back because we didn't even cover everything. Thank you for being such a good friend. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a Bianchi Dama and you know, start with just the expression of sharing more with with women and just getting out there more. We're doing awesome stuff. I thank you for being a part of it. There's a lot of amazing stuff happening right now. I know women's cycling is definitely connecting. There was just International Women's Cycling Day. It gives me great hope for the future. So I guess with that, you know, that is it for today. I invite listeners to connect with me. Come on Bicycle Retail Radio, share your story, take a look at the MBDA website for great resources. 
Don't forget to subscribe, share this episode. Thank you for listening and we'll see you back here soon. And with that, we go. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.